Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's There's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. You guys, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark and go to chapter 10. We're going to finish chapter 10 today. And then we also, Landon and I have a plan to, Lord willing, finish uh, the Gospel of Mark this year before Christmas comes. So believe it or not, um, this this amazing journey that we've been taking through Mark, um, we we are going to just plow through and just enjoy what God has for us here. Um, There was a, a conversational starter game called Would You Rather? You might have played it with friends or uh, kids play it a lot of times. And basically, you just pose a question. Would you rather? And then there's this kind of odd sort of question that they ask. And then you discuss, would you rather do this or would you rather do that? And sometimes they're important. Sometimes they're weird. Uh, sometimes they're just funny and uh, enjoyable to, to consider. Um, I've got some for you here as, as an example. And so you don't need to, you, you can answer in your head or you can turn to the person next to you and answer. Okay, so here's, here's an example. Would you rather have all traffic lights you approach turn green or never have to stand in line again? Okay, that's a pretty good one, right? All right, think about your answer. Here's another good one. Would you rather... Have skin that changes color based on your emotions. Or tattoos appear all over your body depicting what you did yesterday. Oh, okay, ridiculous, but I think I could learn a lot about your psyche depending on how you, or what you did yesterday, depending on how you answer that question. Here's, here's maybe my favorite. Would you rather... Have edible spaghetti hair that regrows every night. Or sweat that tastes like maple syrup. Some, somebody that wrote these, something is mentally off, I think, with these people. But I enjoy them anyway. Um, Here's a serious one that kind of leads the direction that we're headed today. Would you rather be rich, young, and influential, and yet really not have a relationship with Jesus? Or would you be blind in a really low position, 
but be ready to follow Jesus. Now take a moment and think through it. I mean, just honestly process that sort of question. Because when you think about it for you, in the context of us gathering here, I think most of you probably know the the Sunday school answer. You know probably what you should say. But there there comes a difference when we we allow that rubber meets the road in our day-to-day, because I find myself immediately going, okay, no, I know what I'm supposed to say. I should be the blind, humble person of low position, um, but who has a relationship with Jesus. But piggybacking off what Landon and posed as a question last week, do you really need Jesus? I mean, the answer is yes, but do we have a deep sense of just how much we really need him? And we're surrounded by a culture that I think would prefer to be rich, young, and influential regardless of any sort of relationship with Jesus. And what we're going to look at today in Mark's gospel is this ongoing discipleship conversation. There's a number of, of, of moments that we're going to look at here in the scriptures today. But as, as Jesus is walking his people, crowds of people, individuals, through these particular moments that actually took place, as he's on the way to Jerusalem to lay down his life, he's wanting to make clear what it is to be a follower of Jesus. He's wanting to make crystal clear that that being a disciple of his has some substance to it. It also has some cost to it. He's already made that very clear. If anyone wants to come after me, be my disciple, then we're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and then follow him. Uh, the, the, The road to... Heaven is narrow, and very few people find it. Now, this is uh, not always what we like to hear. It's certainly not what we'd always like to preach or teach. But it's from the mouth of Jesus, so we should kind of take stock on it. What I've come to learn is that following Jesus, being a disciple of his, is an upside-down, over-under, backwards, counterintuitive sort of experience. Just about the time that I think I have it figured out on what it really means to be a follower of his, he teaches me something different. The rug gets pulled out and I go, oh, I thought it was all about this or I thought it could be that. And then he kind of upsets the apple cart and I go, oh, Lord, forgive me. I got to come back to you again. And so we take a look here and there's a handful of things that we're going to look at this morning. But Mark chapter 10, Landon left off. And we'll start here at verse 17. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, and just Mark's making it clear, Jesus has been progressing through a journey. We're now three years into his earthly ministry, and he's making his way to Jerusalem for a specific purpose. He's known all the while that this was what his life was going to be about. And he's on a journey to Jerusalem at Passover time. And he knows that the cross is before him. And as he's making his way there, and we're just about to turn the corner, as he's making his way there, uh, there's a handful of people. 
And there's a handful of moments that he's going to reinforce before he goes to the cross what it is to be a disciple. And here comes someone inquiring about that very thing. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this young man rushes up. Matthew records this account. Luke also records this account. We find out that he's wealthy from Matthew, and we find out that he's some sort of ruler or leader, influential position from Luke. Mark the title in your passage here that Mark didn't author the little titles that are in your Bible. Those were not divine inspiration. But they say the rich young ruler. But we find out that he's rich, young, and a ruler from the compilation of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this young guy rushes up and he kneels down. I don't have a sense that he's real entitled. There is a bit of humility to him to come before Jesus and acknowledge him even as a good teacher and has a question. I would very much like eternal life. And then... Jesus responds, verse 16, 18. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good but one, God. And, and so uh, he says, wait, wait a minute. Hold on just a second. Teachable moment. Jesus says, here's, here's a good teachable moment. Why, why do you call me good? You said good teacher. And nobody is good except God. Now there's a side way in that Jesus is kind of linking himself. Hey, I'm God. And God's the only good one. So if you're thinking there's some correlation here, then you would be right. But, but more specifically, when Jesus presses this issue of what is good or who is good, I think the point that he's trying to make is, is good really isn't a relative term. And even more specifically, I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that human judgment, me and you, really can't be good at judging good from bad. Only God can do that. Only God is the divine judge of good and bad. And he is the full-on definition of everything that is true and good. He's actually the standard. And then everything else on this sliding scale really falls short regardless of where we are. And then he says... You know the commandments. And then he spouts off kind of the second half of the Ten Commandments to this young guy. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then verse 20. The guy said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Yeah, right. Because we know that um, the, the letter of the law is one thing. The spirit of the law is another thing. We, we find out from Jesus that, you know, when, when we've um, even looked at a woman lustfully, we've committed adultery in our heart. Okay, well, I didn't follow through. I didn't act out on it. So technically there, maybe I didn't do it, but Jesus knows the heart. And so he, he knows the heart of this young man. And goes, okay, you, you probably uh, have some sort of religious background if you believe that you have been keeping these commandments and yet nobody does them perfectly 
And so he can start to diagnose the, the condition of this young guy's heart. Look at this, verse 21, sweet, sweet words here. Then looking at him, looking at him there um, in, in the, the Greek, it had this very intent, discerning uh, language coupled to it. Just really looking at him and having a discernment about the inner workings of this young man's heart. Looking at him, and then I love this, Jesus loved him. (laughs) You could pause on that for a minute. You know, when Jesus looks at you intently and discerningly and right to your heart, he's God so he can see what's going on in the inside of us. And yet he still loves us. He can see the junk. He can see the poor motives. He can see the manipulation. He, He can see when we think we're on and we're really off. And yet he still loves us. That's, that's beautiful. But then he says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So he answered his question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Is it just obeying the rules? Is it just being religious? No. See, there was a component that he lacked. And Jesus presents this issue that he's lacking as kind of a, an area that needs to be removed from his life. It wasn't just the, the following of Jesus. The following of Jesus is going to be the goal. Being a disciple of Jesus is the goal, not just eternal life. You know, I feel that way a lot. There, there's, there's times as a Christian, I just want the benefits, but I don't want to have to deal with any cost. I just want the good stuff, but I don't want the challenging stuff with being a follower of Jesus. And this young man seems to be lacking the ability to step away from life as he knew it in order to follow Jesus. He wanted eternal life, but just not enough to give up his pride or give up his possessions. I've been there. We were all there at some point prior to stepping into relationship with Jesus. But again, what's core to being a follower of his isn't just praying a prayer so we can get to heaven. It's a complete reversal of our values right? When we say, yes, Lord, it it is saying, I'm going to step away from this. I'm going to step away from the old and into the new. I'm going to allow you to change my heart, my values, my direction. And if it means laying this stuff down, material possessions, sinful behavior, I'll repent. I'll turn. And then now I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple of yours. Wherever you're going, That's where I want to go. He wanted eternal life, but just not enough to change anything in his life. Man, that's a tough one. You know, at my daughter's school, uh, we have to pick them up because she's still in elementary school. And so you get in a big line of cars and there's a little driveway that you pull through And when school gets out, they walk the kids out one at a time to your car. 
well, I have to get there pretty early because then I got to get over to the high school to pick up my boys. And so I sit there to get near the front of the line of cars uh, about 30 minutes early. And I just sit there and there's a fence separating me from the school grounds and the playground is right on the other side of the chain link fence. And school started this last week, Thursday, Friday. Thursday, I, I pull in, and I'm like second or third car in line, and I'm just sitting there waiting to pick up Leilani, and there's still recess going on because there's about a half hour of school left. And there's a group out there, I can't really tell if they're maybe kindergarten or first grade, but they're all playing in the playground. And then there was a bell or a whistle or something because all of the kids playing there lined up, and they were already trained on the first day to line up and where to line up except for one girl. She was way over in the corner of the playground and and kind of hiding in a portion of this little tunnel that leads to a slide. And I saw her over there, and and, and I saw all the other kids line up in line, but she stayed there. And now I'm kind of looking, has anybody noticed? There's one hanging out over here all alone. And the kids all line up, and she's still kind of hiding out there. And I could see the expression on her face. She, she was torn. She, she wanted to be with her friends. She wanted to go back to class. But she also still wanted to be on the slide. And she was just split. And so I'm watching this play out. And now the teacher lines out and starts to file the kids out back to the classroom. And, and they've not caught that there's one still over there. I imagine at some point the teacher did a head count or whatever, but they're filing out of the playground and get completely out of there before they're even um, out, but they're walking away. The girl starts crying. And, and I mean, she, it's loud enough for me to hear with my windows rolled up and the air conditioning on. And now I'm thinking, oh, this isn't good. This is, this is not good at all. And they got all the way out and I'm looking and she's crying and she takes one step away from the slide and then runs back to the slide. Oh, they're, they're leaving. And then, oh no, no, no. I I just want, and tears are coming down her face. Eventually on the other side of the playground, there was some sort of a staff person, a yard duty person. And she had heard the crying and came over and got this little girl and walked her over to her class. And other than it being kind of heartbreaking for me, I I just saw a lot of myself in her. I saw a lot of us in her. See, she wanted to be with them and go with them, but not enough to leave the playground. And so many times in my following of Jesus, there's that stutter step and hesitation it concerns me for people that have never put their faith and trust in Jesus, that stutter step that tension that they feel. But then even once we are one of his, a disciple of his, it could still be a daily challenge to walk away from our possessions or our pet sins or issues because they're comfortable, right? See, Jesus goes on next to explain, if you continue to read and you can this week, He explains a little bit to his disciples what they just saw play out. And he he has the great line in the next verses about how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I believe Jesus had a sense of humor because this is one of the great comedy lines of all time. 
He said, it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. And they look at each other, oh my goodness, why is that? I mean, well then who can get in then? Because I think they correlated material wealth to being blessed by God. And Jesus goes on to explain, you know, it's difficult because you can find your comfort, you can find your strength, you can find your identity in your material possessions, in your job, in your stuff, in your earthly wealth, in your talent. But what it means to be a follower of Jesus is a complete reversal of all that stuff. What it means to be a disciple of his is, hey, I'm going to be your comfort. I'm going to be your strength. I want to give you your identity. And this young, influential, rich kid wasn't ready for that reversal. Now, Jesus then goes on to predict that he's going to lay down his life for the third time he makes this prediction. And the disciples start wrestling with it. See, followers of Jesus even wrestle with what it is to follow Jesus. Anybody here ever as a follower, you say, I already am a Christian, but there are days where it's difficult or challenging or I'm wondering what in the world I'm doing. Okay, thanks. I got one honest person. Thank you very much. No, that's great. I get it. I mean, we all, we all have those moments. You confessed it during confession time, so you didn't need to raise your hand. It's forgiven and freed. Fantastic. No, but the reality is, is that we, we wrestle with The disciples wrestle with it. They've just heard Jesus say he's going to lay down his life, and, and then they speak up, and in particular, James and John and the other disciples get annoyed at them. James and John say, hey, we, we, we want you to do something for us, Jesus. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? We, we want the places of honor. When you're reigning up in heaven, we want to sit at your right and your left. See, the followers of Jesus, they're even missing the point. They're close to him. They're even missing the point. They're still posturing for uh, position and their own influence in this kingdom. And they're kind of missing the point. So then Jesus goes on to clarify, if you keep reading, you know what, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, it's about service. It's about making yourself lowly before other people. And then just to be clear, Jesus says, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus says, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus didn't ask you and I to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. And how amazing that is. And he's letting them know we're just about to turn a corner on this mission. And starting in the next chapter, Mark chapter 11. There's a whole shift that's coming because we go from these final moments where he's trying to hammer home what following Jesus, the real substance of it is about to him now going to the cross. 
chapter 11, what comes next is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we enter the last week of the life on earth of Jesus. Mark 1 through 10, we've got three years of his ministry. And then Mark 11 through 16, one week, because so much happens in the next week. And yet, the disciples are still wrestling. But he's saying, we're going someplace, boys. And I want you to be with me, but I want you to know what you're getting into, and I want you to know what I'm really about and what following me is really about. And then, and then you get the last little story, a last little moment with Jesus. Look at verse 46 of chapter 10. It finishes this chapter. It says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. Okay, there are thousands of people that have been uh, making their pilgrimage journey up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And Jericho would have been a main route, main option. And so the beggar has positioned himself in a good spot, high traffic zone. And uh, another gospel records that there are actually two beggars here, but one of them has a name that gets referenced, and it's this one, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene that was coming, he began to cry out, Son of David. And just super quick, Son of David was a messianic reference. So when he cries out like that, he's already aware this isn't some guy, it's not just a rabbi, it's not just a nice guy, it's not just a teacher. This is the Messiah. And he's crying out, making a confession of it. And then look at what he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many people told him to keep quiet. Interesting. But he was crying out all the more. Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up. He's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? It's an echo of a conversation he's just had with his own disciples. And the blind man said, I want to sit in the position of influence at the right hand of you. No, he doesn't say that. He says, basically, Rabbi, the blind man told him, I want to see. No, duh. I mean, he's blind and he had a physical need. But we also know that if he's acknowledging Jesus as Messiah, he was aware of a a spiritual sight that he needed as well. Go your way, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he could see and began to follow him on the road. So he got the healing that he was looking for physically, but also spiritually. 
and then became a follower. He followed Jesus. He wants to be a disciple of his. Now, this is huge to me because he goes from being blind to having sight. He goes from being a sinner to being saved. He goes from being an outsider to an insider. And I think probably why his name is referenced here and the name of his father is probably by the time that Mark was writing this, I I believe, and some other scholars agree, that Bartimaeus had become a well-known believer. And people would have been familiar with, have you heard the story about blind Bartimaeus? I mean, that guy used to be blind, and now he could see. He didn't know Jesus, and then Jesus healed him. He wasn't saved, and now he is. And now Mark's establishing the origin story of how blind Bartimaeus went from just a guy in the crowd who couldn't see and didn't know him to one who does, who became influential and impactful, I would assume, in the kingdom. Why his name's even referenced. You think there's any doubt that the blind man, Bartimaeus, trusted that Jesus was his savior? You think there's any doubt? I don't. You think there's any doubt this blind man trusted Jesus was his only hope? I don't. You think there was any doubt that this man needed mercy? That he knew he needed mercy? No, that's what he calls out for first. Do you have any doubt that he was ready, willing, and able to follow him? No. And so if you kind of unpack the types of people that we see just in this set of verses at the end of Mark chapter 10, just these different types of people. Take take a look. There's a group we just call the crowds, and they're mostly unaware of what was really going on. You think there's a lot of people today that are just part of the crowd really kind of unaware of who Jesus is, what he's up to, even what the gospel is, what the church is doing, what we're here for. Yeah, I I think so. Tons of people just kind of mostly unaware. Activity of God going on, but mostly unaware. There's the rich young ruler. He was kind of superficially religious and, and yet good, quote unquote, but still missing the point. And probably unwilling to have the Lord completely reverse their values of their life. Unwilling to part from this, that, or the other thing to follow Jesus. There's the disciples who are close to Jesus, but posturing for position in his kingdom. I would argue they themselves also kind of missing the point. You know, it's possible for us to gather. It's possible for us to kind of be in relationship with each other and with Jesus and still think that the whole thing's about us and us posturing for position of influence or leadership or this, that, or the other thing. And the Lord's going, that's not about that either. And so, so here's our guy. This is our guy. Blind Bartimaeus, there's our guy. There's our aspirational target for me and you. The humble, poor in spirit, bearing with a disability, low position guy. That's that's our aspiration. 
How many people in the world aspire to that? And even as followers of Jesus, I, I, I want to be someone who aspires to that. And so even when you encounter challenges in your life that are humbling to you, difficult for you, rather than bristling at that or wrestling with that to go, my goodness, what an opportunity, Lord, to remind me, I do really need you. Thank you, God, for the moments that you humble me. Thank you for the stuff that I carry that's that thorn in the flesh, that's the chink in the armor, the stuff that keeps me weak as it also keeps me dependent on you. This was one of those weeks for me. I'm tired. I lost a family member just a couple of days ago, and I'm tired, and I'm wiped out, and I'm exhausted, and my family is. And yet, rather than bristling at it, do I know I really need Jesus this week? Yes. And so I thank God for that even in the challenge, even in the hardship, even in the difficulty. I can praise God for that. Because here's the way of all people, but here's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is humility. See, people can have a number of different ways that they walk through their life. But what Jesus is modeling for us is he's going to go to the cross for us as he's been serving and he's going to continue to serve is by making himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the way of Jesus. And I would propose that's also the best way for his followers, for me and you. Discipleship of Jesus, following Jesus, really starts, is sustained by, and ends with our humility. You want to be great? Get low. Get down on your knees every single day. And then watch what God does as he lifts you up, as he sustains you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us and your patience with us. Thank you, Lord, for watching us in times where we've probably just been kind of ignorant or unaware to what you're up to as part of the crowd. Forgive us for times where we've been playing the superficial, religious, uh, I'm a good person game and still missing the point. Forgive us even for the times where we've been close to you, but still looking for what's in it for us. Help us, Father, celebrate the people around us that are walking in humility and meekness. Help us on that journey. Lord, you humble us. You call us to humble ourselves, lest you have to humble us. We thank you, Father, that you... You showed us that it could be done. You, you've modeled what humility is for us. 
And so we ask, Lord, that you would just, uh, in your gentleness, in your kindness, your goodness, every single day, help us not miss what being a follower of yours is all about. And help us even in an odd, upside-down, backwards, counterintuitive way, even celebrate our weakness if it's driving us to our knees. Even be grateful or thankful for things that keep us aware of our desperate need for you in every area of our life. I thank you for these amazing people that are here this morning and your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to enter a time where we get to just respond to the Lord and, and worship musically, but also in communion. And I really don't think, one, that there's a greater picture of the humility of Jesus than in him on the cross. And he gave us communion as a reminder of his sacrifice for us, his love for us, and his humiliation that took place as he laid his life down as a ransom for many. But he gave us this as an opportunity for us to just thank him for us to uh, get right with him, uh, for us to be reminded of what being a follower of his is all about. It's our own humility. And so we're going to invite you to come. If you've got that relationship with Jesus, whenever you're ready, grab the elements, take them back to your seat. You can take them on your own, the bread that represents his body, which was broken for you and the drink that represents his blood that was poured out for you. You come when you're ready. Take the elements when you're ready as we wrap up this time just responding to his goodness and his call for me and you as his followers. Come when you're ready. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people 
who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a, a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. Um, and I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.